0: My name is Angela Cox, and I am the Mindset Mentor. And this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now, my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential now please do like share and leave a review if you love this podcast it really does help others to find us thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest My guest today is Peter Zorn. Now, Peter lives in Australia and leads the global business service, APAC, Centre of Competence for IBM. Before this, he did a 10-year stint with Deutsche Bank as Managing Director of Organisation Transformation. Now, I met Peter 10 years ago after sending him an email with the heading, I want to work for you. And he graciously replied and invited me for lunch. It was there that I realised what a magnificent storyteller Peter is. And he also wore amazing cufflinks. I can't wait to chat to him today. He's over in Australia. It's evening there. It's morning here in the UK. Peter, it's an absolute joy to have you on the show. How are you?
1: I'm very well, Angela. Thank you. You've made me blush a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good thing, Peter. Now, we are in lockdown and you're in lockdown over there in the sunshine. You've just shown me your view over Sydney Harbour, which is stunning. How are you managing in lockdown, first of all?
1: Well, I will say surprisingly well. It was a little difficult to start because I am quite an extrovert and I get my energy off of other people. And while I often work from home, I, you know, I often do emails or you know the standard things and prepare some presentations, but I'm not used to having to collaborate using virtual tools, having to keep the energy levels up of the teams who are located all over the country or the region. So It's interesting because I said to some of my team just the other day, in the beginning, I found it extremely difficult. Then I started to make a transition to use probably the tools and things that we have more effectively. And now I'm actually finding I'm as excited logging on in the morning to do daily stand ups via WebEx or whatever uh, as I am in the office. So I've adjusted to this new norm quite well.
0: You're through the change curve and loving it now.
1: <laughs> yes, it helps to have the view of Sydney Harbour as well. But, uh, oh, but no, it seriously, it's, a, it's, it's it's been a, a very interesting transition. And I would have to say personally, for somebody who's been in your know, financial services for over 30 years, I have transformed myself and the way I work and actually enjoy it now. So that propensity to learn and to continuously evolve yourself it, it it's actually worked Happy that is say.
0: amazing to hear and it's a really positive way to look at it as well it's that learning period is difficult isn't it the adjustment and then yes you come through that and it feels good
1: yes so i'm pleased you... to
0: hear that you're coping well i am indeed <laughs> and and we always start this podcast, Peter, with what I like to call the shake your pom-poms moment. So this is about you celebrating your successes and setting us up for this success mindset that we're keen to delve into a little bit more. So I'm wondering if you can share with me your three proudest moments.
1: Mm. Okay, I am gonna I've got a, a few different ideas here. I'm going to start with the first one that is, uh, I was about 22, 23 years old, and it has to do with something that set me up on what I call my global journey, which I am by no means finished with. But I went to university uh, at Fordham in New York, and I went right from university, undergraduate, into graduate school while working um, at J.P. Morgan Chase. And so I was doing night school, and I remember standing outside of one of the classrooms waiting to go in, and there was a sign there, and it said, study a a term of your master's degree in Prague. And without, I don't know how this happened, but without really thinking about it, I thought, that's it, I'm going to Prague for a semester. And I went home that night, and remember calling my mother, saying, Mom, I'm going to Prague to study. And she said, oh, yeah, yes, dear, very nice, whatever. (laughs) Another one of his ideas that he has. And lo and behold, within about two weeks, I had organized to take a leave of absence from work. I had organized to sublet my apartment, all of that, because this was in about March, and the the term was going to start in June. So there I went, having never been to Prague, having not knowing really what to expect, leaving my job, albeit for three months, and it was going to be there when I came back. But it was really interesting. My boss, as I was leaving, she said to me, she's like, what an amazing opportunity. She said, just so you know, we never expect to see you back here again. Wow. And it was as if she knew that there was like a bird who was just waiting to fly. And travel has always been a passion of mine. So I go over to Prague. I'm in the middle of the semester and... I thought to myself, Do "You know what? I'm not going back. I'm going to finish over here because there was a, a master's program there that you could continue on with." And I called my dad, said, "Dad, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to come back. I'm going to finish my schooling here." I think my dad was—he was okay with it as long as I got my degree because that was yeah. the most important thing to dad. Get that get master's degree. <laughs> yeah, get the badge. <laughs> Education was always very important to him, and as this is it. It's all about, you know, you make your own luck, but sometimes some things have to happen for the luck to to be there. And this was in the, just, you know, the very early 90s. The wall had just come down, and JPMorgan Chase was about to open a rep office in Prague, and they said, well, if you'd like, we'd be very happy to have you work with us here while you do your studies. Lo and behold, I had a job within, you know, two months of arriving in Prague, back with the same employer. I graduate thinking what to do, where to go. And you'll recall that the whole Russia and Soviet Union became independent a little bit after Central Europe and the wall. And I got tapped on the shoulder and said, we are going to open a full-blown branch and and, every kind of business line in Moscow. Would you like to go to Russia? So I was like, yes, I had never been to Moscow. My grandmother thought, oh my goodness, you, you, you've left us forever. You're going back to the, going to the oh. Soviet Union. The family was, I think, a mixture of proud and shocked. I didn't quite uh-huh. know what to make of it. But when I look back on it, I think, my goodness, the, some of the biggest decisions of my life weren't ones that you hem and haw about, should I, shouldn't I, whatever. Something just tells you it's right. And when you, you have that feeling, a gut instinct in your heart, you just have to go for it. So I am eternally, well, I guess, proud, grateful, thankful that I followed my passion, which was get on that plane, get over there, get my education, start traveling. Because from the, the Prague to Moscow trajectory... Everything else in my life has fallen in place after that. It, it's probably worth noting that I've lived in 15 countries in my life. Wow. And relocated 18 times because Sydney, this is my second time, and Singapore I've done three times. So that started me on that trajectory. I suppose the the next big moment in, in, in that, from a being proud from both personal and career perspective, was um, several years later... There was the, what they called the Russian ruble crisis or the Asian currency crisis. Uh, but the, in 97, there was a very difficult time in much of the world. And I had moved from J.P. Morgan Chase to UBS, and UBS Brunswick as it was called in Moscow. And they had decided we had a huge, massive ramp up. And now all of a sudden, everything was scaling back. 25, 50, 75% of the market gone. And I was told, well, you can go back to you can go to Zurich and work for us there, and I thought, oh, I don't know, I feel an adventure has got to be on the horizon, and going back to Zur- going to Zurich is not it. And as it turns out, I had this opportunity to move into consulting. So I had done near, like about eight years in banking. And now I had a chance to go and use that banking, which was a lot of infrastructure knowledge, operations and technology and things of that nature, to go and have that at the forefront, relationship management, building businesses, seeing different parts of the world. And I went to a small startup, which still exists today. It's called Capco, or it used to be the capital markets company. And the first thing they said, we need someone to go and do a little bit of work out in Asia go to Singapore and service a couple of new client relationships that we're developing there. So I'd never been to Singapore. Got on the plane, went out there. Literally the first day I was there in Singapore, I was walking along the river. I have a photograph of me with the statue of Sir Stanford Raffles and (laughs) a few buildings behind me because it it wasn't as big now as it was 20-some years later as it was then. And I said, I'm going to move here not just gonna do a project here, I'm moving to Asia. Wow. wow. <laughs> do not ask me why I felt that, I, I didn't know anyone. But lo and behold, they transferred me out there and I was one of the first people to help set the office up and set the office up with relationships in Indonesia, Thailand, Australia, um, that was, a, that was you know, a, a brilliant moment, which again changed the entire direction of geographically where I was gonna spend my life. And I did about, so that was around 98 until about 2005. I stayed within the Asia Pacific region uh, in, uh, in, in Singapore, then in Australia, then several years in Thailand and all in consulting. And then I decided I'd done a, quite a lot of time in Asia, time to get back to Europe. I wanted to refresh my skills. I've been working in emerging markets for a long time, so I thought, let's go back and, and, and uh, see what I need to learn and let's get back into the industry. So I was very fortunate to get an opportunity to go and work for Deutsche Bank. And this is, I guess, this is the third sort of moment. I had just gone back to Europe without a job. The recruitment agent who placed me at UBS, like about nine years earlier, we'd become good friends. And she said, look, Peter, I haven't called you for a job in all these years. Admittedly, I could have tried to tempt you and placed you somewhere else. But <laughs> she said, I just met someone at Deutsche Bank and uh, his name was James Crabb. And he needed someone who had banking experience, consulting experience, knew Asia, knew the European landscape, um, was, was willing to you know, sort of get stuck in and go out there to Asia and this time to Japan to um, manage some large programs and also remediate some issues they were having. And now I had just come back to Europe. I'd been there about seven, eight months. I'd met someone personally, we were settling down and all of a sudden in one meeting <laughs> no, no. at Deutsche Bank, they said, you're it, you, we, <laughs> you, we, we want you. And so I, re- I remember going home that night saying to who became my partner then, I said, oh, my God, I had this opportunity to go to to Asia. And he looked so sad. And I I said, oh, why are you so sad? And he's like, well, oh, we just met. And what about me? And he said, what do you mean? What about you? You're coming with me. Oh. And, oh, my God, it was one of the greatest adventures. So we packed up, and about two months later, we moved back to Asia. And, again, that experience then with Deutsche, going to Asia, and then I had an opportunity with them to move to India for a period of time, move to Manila for a period of time, and then ultimately back to London. So it was, as you can tell, travel is a passion. Uh, yes. But it, it's not just the travel itself, because you, anyone can travel. But the difference between being a traveler who goes to visit somewhere for some some weeks on holiday versus someone who moves there, gets to understand the culture gets to meet friends there from all over the world. And then to the fact now in my role, I travel a lot. But whether I'm traveling, you know, if it's Hong Kong, it's Singapore, it's, you know, Mumbai, it's in in Sydney, to know people, to know places to go, to know your way around, to feel comfortable in so many places around the world is probably, I think, one of my, now that I look back on it, one of my greatest achievements. I, I always wanted to travel, but I never realized uh, it was going to be quite so extensive, and just how comfortable I would feel anywhere in the world. And I can thank largely, of course, it's due to my own my own uh, sort of initiative, but it's the companies that I've worked for uh, that have allowed that to be possible, and and some of the great bosses that I've had in the past as well.
0: And and there's two and there's- things around that that really pop out for me. And the first one is the amount of courage that that shows to constantly be able to step up move settle and succeed and then do that again and again and again and also i think resilience because it must take a huge amount of resilience to constantly adapt in that way and not let that affect your mental well-being so i think that'd be a nice thing for us to touch on next in terms of you know during all of that time when you were moving around did you face into fear did you face into doubt and how did you kind of cope
1: with that hmm. I mean it, I think we all have a certain amount of fear or doubt I think we have fear or doubt even when we just live our daily lives agree, um, you know yeah. going to work um, but I think you know back to the point where I said whenever I've had some of the biggest decisions or, or made the biggest moves in my life I didn't really think about it too much <laughs> it wasn't just that I it. sat there and had this dilemma and I can say that on many occasions where I have had doubts or dilemmas or wondered and sat, sat back and pined about, over ideas, that actually I knew already the answer, that, that it wasn't right. Because when you know something's right, it's very similar in a relationship. You know, when you know something's right, you just go for it. Don't say, oh, well, it's not the right time or this or that. You come up with excuses. You just go for it. Yeah. and. Clearly, there is a, you, you, I've adopted a, a formula for relocation. Yeah. And I don't that from an administrative perspective. But I mean, the, the mindset that one needs to continually meet new friends. And this is something that I, I, I talked to a lot of my friends about back in the UK, which is, I guess, what I would consider real home, permanent home, is that many people, you, of course, you have friends you went to school with and friends you sort of started out your career with. But so often, then you get busy with families and you, you, know, you marry or you have a partner and then you have kids and schools and all of that. And you have your friends from the past, but we are all evolving constantly. So I always say, ask yourself, when was the last time you made some new friends? And were you made the friends based on a common interest? Like, of course, all my friends make new friends. They're like, oh yeah, this person and that person. And I said, let me guess, they're parents from your children's school like yeah and i'm like of course i'm talking about you look a little bit selfishly and think about what are your interests and your passions so there is that formula of you you have to push yourself out there and don't expect people to come calling you you if you meet someone you have to call them you have to be a little bit eager and aggressive to bring these people into your life and it certainly has done a, a i think a fantastic job for me in terms of resiliency and adaptability you know that whole it was, you know, you had the IQ, and then you have EQ, and now I call it the AQ, the adaptability quotient. Ah. And it is so important that we continue to push ourselves to grow. It's, you can call it a, a continuous learning mindset. Call it a, you know, it's a, it's a continual development of yourself because what that does to the neurons in your brain is incredible. And when you don't do it, you realize, you, people say, oh, I'm, I'm a bit bored or I'm feeling stale or stagnant or whatever. It's because we're not pushing ourselves. I, this, this wonderful phrase of you have to step out of the comfort zone and mm-hmm. go with ashes. do not because that's the only place the great things happen. And I think that's been, for me, wonderful advice in my career and, and, and in my life. Because that's how I've got to move to all these places, meet all these amazing people. Mm. And as I continue to learn every single day from clients from colleagues, continue to have that, that propensity and eagerness to learn, that, that to me is something that makes me happy. And I think it's one of those sort of secrets in life. Because if yes. you stop learning, you stop living, in my opinion.
0: Oh, well, let's talk about that. But But first of all, what you've just described there is kind of the key to solving loneliness. So many of the people I meet are in this dilemma where they're successful. They've got a great career. Many of them have even got people at home that they live with, and yet they feel lonely because they don't have the connectivity that they crave. And what you're yeah. saying there is it's about you actually going out there, finding it and working hard to make it happen to maintain it, to create it. Almost, you've got to put yes. the
1: effort in. You absolutely that. do, and 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 you know, it certainly it does take energy. So mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, this as I say, these people don't just come to you. You 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 have to go out and make this yes. happen. And so when people say, yeah, but how? And I say, well, so what are your interests? What are your passions? You know, mine personally would be uh, certainly it's travel, as you've already discovered. It would be photography. I'm a huge um, Bikram yoga aficionado. It's like I yeah. do it almost every day when we're allowed to. And um, so I meet people, I have met people through photography classes and, and, and photography schools I've gone through. I meet this, a lot of the same people at Bikram yoga where I, I, I socialize with now. And again, they're in every city around the world. So that's a great place to go. But it's funny I, or sad, I talk to some people and I'm like, so tell me about your interests. And I get sort of this blank stare, and I'm like, well, what are you passionate about? And okay, of course, some people, hopefully, they say, oh, my children, or whatever, but they're like, oh, you know, between work and my commute, and then I gotta look after the kids, and I'm exhausted, Uh I often say to people, at some point, you have to put yourself first, at least for a little while in a day. It it could be a half an hour, an hour, Um, but you've gotta find something, or on the weekend, Get your partner to take the kids or whatever, find time for you so that you can go and, 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 you know, and pursue some sort of interest where you're going to meet like-minded people. And also on that note, it's funny because I said I, I, we're all tired. Everybody gets tired. But honestly, when I look at the health and well-being of people around me in my office or you know, just, just the general population of people who are my age, which are, um, let's just say, Youthful, (laughs) middle-aged. The diet, the diet and exercise that people have are quite often appalling, and I say that because I see what people eat for lunch at work—the sandwiches and the pastas and all of this—and we wonder why at two or three o'clock in the afternoon people are sort of slumped down at their desk. You see people—you know—they're all surfing the web and they're off to get a chocolate bar and another coffee and spike their insulin and adrenaline and whatever. Because they're not eating properly and they're not looking after themselves with the right level of fitness. So clearly for me, when I have to be on a plane every week, when I have to be in client meetings every day, when I have to you know, do all the things that we all have to do, like you know, shop yeah. for food and whatever, that all takes energy. And I but I get my energy then out of knowing that I'm going to be seeing other people who have, you know, sort of like-minded interests to me or we share the same energy, the same passions. Yeah, All of that, logical. I think, is, is quite important not to forget. And just because you're getting older and more senior and more settled in your family life is not an excuse to stop making new friends.
0: I agree. I absolutely agree. And that, that point about well-being is key. So you've mentioned yoga and you've mentioned sort of looking after nutrition. What else do you do to keep your mindset healthy?
1: I have a rule uh, to try to control negative thoughts and anxiety so yes you're absolutely right i i yoga and fitness anything that gets a heart rate up helps the mind the diet and making sure you're getting the right foods and i also take some supplements i, I take you know multivitamins and some other you know things that are supposed to be good for you the jury's out <laughs> on whether it works or not but even if it's a placebo effect it works we'll for try <laughs> <me>. <laughs> but i have this uh, i call it I time box my worries so I have a probably a window of about 15 minutes a day where I will allow myself to just go into uh, you know, the thoughts of uh, anything that's worrying me. It could be it could be uh, elderly parents. It could be anything, work issues, personal issues, whatever. A time when I allow myself to sit down with a, a cup of tea or a glass of wine or whatever, and I will have about 15 minutes where I'll, I'll let my thoughts go anywhere and I'll wallow in it if I want to. Uh-huh. Then, time's up. Time's up. Move on. And because I'm quite busy with work, social life, et cetera, there's always something immediately to, to follow on to. So obviously, you don't do this before you go to bed. Because you, yes. you don't want that to, those to be your last thoughts. But find a time where you can time box it and you know that you've got other things to do that are going to snap you out of it because we do you do need to you know take time to think about things that aren't always great in your life and and if you do it day after day you start to slowly make plans and then you can slowly address them but um you you can't let whether it be issues at work issues in your personal life or whatever become all consuming for you because life is too short and we've all, I'm sure, you know, all your listeners, we've all lost loved ones, sometimes way before their time. Mm. And so you, you just have to look at a few of those examples to think, my goodness, in the scheme of life, whatever X is at work or Y is in a, in a personal life, it can't be all that bad. And even sometimes I know we all have to deal with some very tragic things, but we're alive and yes. you have one life to live. So make sure that you're not spending your time with you know all of these worries consuming you because it is true. I'm a huge believer that you attract the thoughts you have. Oh, so most
0: certainly. We
1: need to have those positive thoughts. Give that positive energy out, and you know make sure that you know, when you're dealing with your people at work or personal life or wherever that you're not taking these things out on them. You've got to prom- you know sort of promote that positive side of you and the happy side of you that. People want to be around, not to say that you can't show your vulnerability and your authenticity when things aren't going well, but you don't want that to be your norm because you're always so tired and (laughs) I've got all these stresses and woe is me. I think, yeah, nobody wants to be around that person.
0: Yeah. And you're so not woe is me. I mean, you know, you are just you give me goosebumps, Peter, because you are so positive and your messages are so crisp and you can latch onto them and, and what you're saying is really accessible now you've just been talking about kind of you know the the difficult things that can happen and how that can shape us so in terms of adversity there must have been times i'm sure throughout your life when you face that how has that made you the person that you are today
1: mm. oh yes absolutely i mean we all face adversity i think it's a it's a very simple sort of uh mindset, it's not simple maybe to achieve, but it's simple to understand in terms of a mindset issue that you are the only person who is in control of what happens to you. I always call it, if if I think about adversity um, in in, in the work world, you are the CEO of your career. So things aren't going well, you better deal with it. We're all going to have bosses from time to time who are jerks, We are all going to have colleagues that you just think, oh, God, I can't believe I have to go to a meeting with this person. But you're also going to have bosses who are amazing, colleagues who you love, places to work which inspire you. And so knowing that and knowing that, you know, nobody is is in a position forever or even most nowadays in a company forever. So understand the fact that if something's bothering you, a person, a situation you you just don't like where you are for whatever reason. You are the only person who can change that. Now you might not be able to change it tomorrow. We all need jobs. We need income. Mm-hmm. We need. We have to go to work. Uh, we have to deal with people, and sometimes for extended periods of time, that quite frankly just annoy us. But only you can change that. So from my perspective, I've had some difficult times, perhaps around you know diversity and inclusion issues that have mm-hmm. impacted me around um, other sort of hierarchical things that have existed in companies where I've had to just say, you know what, I will deal with this, I will deal with it professionally, and I will deal with it one day at a time, but I am putting in place, as any CEO would if the company wasn't going in the right direction, the CEO would put in place a plan to change it. Three months, six months, nine months. But as long as you know that there is a plan in place to make changes. I think we can all deal with adversity, um, at least it's a bit better, because otherwise there's nothing worse than feeling helpless because you're in a situation that makes you extremely unhappy, sad. Uh, Well, then what are you doing about it? Because you do have some power to control it. And I understand, again, people sometimes are dealing with overwhelming things, Uh, you know, it could be family issues or whatever. I'm not saying that you can solve everything, especially if it comes to your health or, or the health of a loved one. But most things, if you look at the number of problems one has in one's, in one's life, most of them are not life-threatening. if you have that many life-threatening problems, then you have a problem. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a question of looking at, again, those things that you can control, the things you can't mm-hmm. control, but a lot of stuff is in our control, but sometimes we just need the patience to deal with it, and we need a plan. Because you, you, having just saying I want it to change is clearly not going to make it happen.
0: Yeah, you have to take the action. It's that circle of influence thing, isn't it? Look at what you absolutely. can control, work out the steps to get to a different place.
1: Yes, absolutely. I and it's worked that. very well for me.
0: And that's really inspirational. And that's where I want to go next with you. Because we were having a conversation before we came on air where you were talking about inspiration and how you want to inspire the managers and the leaders out in your organization and beyond. And and it really captured my imagination. So I'd like to um, talk a little bit more about that, if you don't mind.
1: Mm, yes. I. Well, you, you've touched on perhaps one of my reasons for existence in this world. And I use the phrase, those who work with me know this well, we all are inundated with you know, emails and conference calls and powerpoint decks and whatever we all get way too much information but we have almost no inspiration in our daily lives and uh, and i think you we have a lot of companies that have a a huge number of managers who think that they're extremely senior but very few leaders and leaders are not determined by level in an organization if in order for you to lead, people must follow you. Mm-hmm. And so you can find some very senior people who clearly are not leaders. And you can find junior people sitting in open plan offices where many, many people want to follow them. They are yes. naturally leaders. So I think one of the pieces of advice I give to everyone who, who wants to listen to it is I say you have an obligation. You have an obligation to aspire to inspire those around you. And unfortunately, I literally had people say to me, what do you mean by that? Or I have no time or I'm way too busy with other things. Like So unfortunately, right there, you've just determined why you are not going to be a leader. You may be a manager. You may become more senior in an organization. But I ask you, when people leave an organization, even some very senior ones, we all know sometimes people back in the office are applauding, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, thank God, now it's going to be much better. <laughs> Yet those people who are leaving think, oh, I'm a great leader. You also have those who leave and everybody's immediately sending them their CVs. Can I, can yes. you, do you think there's a job for me? Can I come work with you? So, and I'm very happy that I've had a lot of people in that camp who, who I've continued to work with at many, many organizations who just say, if you, you, know, if you ever want to work together... Again, let me know, and I take that as one of the hugest compliments. And like you said to me before, when you opened up, said, "I want to work for you, with you, you know, alongside you." These things are uh, are not things that you learn in a textbook, and they're not things that come with seniority in an organization. So I I ask everyone listening to this, I hope that you aspire. To inspire those around you,
0: it's a it's a brand that Peter. I think you could take that forward and take that to every organisation because <laughs> it is a gap in many. Um, and you could you could be the spokesman for it. I have no doubt.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> it is one of my passions. That's for sure. You can
0: sell, yeah, and it really comes across. And I guess that's the the next um, area to think about, really, in terms of obviously that drives you, that desire to want to inspire people to inspire, but what else drives you every day to get up and to be amazing?
1: Well, so people in general inspire me and people's potential gets me very excited. And I remember, if I go back to my very, very first job in, in banking, this is quite a little funny story. So when I was 18 and I started at, at J.P. Morgan Chase down on Wall Street, my job was to be an official fax receiver. <laughs> now, many people, your young people today, will be like, "What's that?"
0: What's that? So this fax?
1: is in the days when fax machines uh, were not for general use. Fax machines would be kept pretty much under lock and key. They were, a, they were a, a modern, sophisticated tool of communication. And I was put four floors underground into a lockbox. People also <laughs> don't know what lockboxes anymore, but in the days when stocks and bonds and things used to be physical, yes. they had to be behind, behind bars, like in prison. So I worked behind bars in a lockdown room with a fax machine. <laughs> And I had to take out these rolly pieces of paper and write on triple on triple paper, triple pieces of paper with carbon in between, uh-huh. buy this, sell that, settle it in this market, foreign exchange, whatever, whatever it said on the fax. It wasn't automated. And I had a manager, or actually I could call him a leader, but let's say a manager who was probably about two or three years older than me, but I looked at him as he was a god. Because he put up, we were doing we were doing um, global settlements for custody at the time. and he we had this huge map in the office. and he every time we, we, as he was teaching us about the markets, he would say, well, now this one is uh, you know this one's selling through Euroclear. This is what it means with Euroclear. This one's selling through crest in the uk. here's the here's the security settlement depository or CSD. Here's the clearinghouse. Here's how it all works trading, clearing, settlement, registration, all of that. He actually took the time, it wasn't a lot of time, but he took time to explain to me how everything worked. There were people in that room with me. Now, obviously, faxes hadn't even been around that long, but there were people in that room with me who had been there for 20 or 25 years uh-huh. doing administrative tickets and time stamping and data entry and old Wang computers with the green screens (laughs) and and before. And this guy created in my mind, the fact that I had a global job and I was gonna learn how the settlements worked in every country around the world. I knew what the Singapore exchange was or the Hong Kong exchange or the ASX and all the different markets. I knew about this by the time I was 19 years old. And it's because this guy taught me how it actually worked and the process involved. There is no quick fix in this world. Everything works by a process. So even, it's funny, because people today say, oh, Peter, why do you talk about process so much? You know, it's all automated. It's all cognitive in AI. And I guess, but when things go wrong, you still need yeah, to know how the yeah. process works. So <laughs> the thing that really motivates me, and, I, and it comes back to that period of time, everyone who's in, in in whatever job they do, and i spent a lot of time in India and Manila as well, walking up and down these service center hallways, everyone there who's sitting on Excel spreadsheets or who's doing repetitive tasks or Mm -hmm. who's doing whatever, whatever the kind of job they are, there's always a better way to do something. But in order to do that, you need somebody to help to explain things to you, to give you maybe the training, give you the time to learn, give you a framework in which to excel. And there's so many criteria that are necessary but that all have to fit together in order for an individual to understand what it takes to learn and how to apply. And so I work with teams of people all the time and have for many years, I am never too busy to sit down and explain how something works, or I will will, walk you through an entire process end to end, even if you only needed to know a piece of it, but I want people to understand and feel confident and competent because it's a lot of people in this world go around not feeling very competent, and they're afraid to express any vulnerability and talk about uh, the fact that they actually don't know what's going on. I'm the first one to put my hand up and say I'm not an expert in this or that, but I do know about these other things. So let's let's trade, let's share, and so that to me is one of the the things where I really find my passion. It's my reason for getting out of bed in the morning, it's Mm. it's why I love going to work and working with my teams, is that I'm watching them grow. And that doesn't mean only people who work with me or for me, they might be my peers, they might be my superiors. It doesn't matter because it's not about hierarchy. And I live, I call it the, the upside down pyramid. So I believe I work for everyone else. And even those who might in an org structure work for me, my job is to unblock any problems that they have. And only I can do that. So, you know, I, I, I work for everyone and no one really works for me. That's sort of my attitude. That's
0: what drives I love that. I love that. That's, that. That reason for being is about the people that are there serving your customers rather than where you are in the hierarchy. So Absolutely. as far away as you can from command and control
1: oh absolutely and it's interesting though when you when you come across command and control environment mm. oftentimes people can view my style as a slightly weaker or more vulnerable style mm. and it's so funny because i look right back at them and i think oh i am so sorry um that you <laughs> haven't moved on and that you don't see what's coming with the next generation yes. they're, they're the next generation will not put up with those sorts of command and control environments anymore they are they are demanding to learn more they are demanding to be able to practice things more to have more mobility and move around and it takes a a different type of thinking and a very different type of leadership over management to create the successful organization of tomorrow and as you know, I think there's a famous book that says what got you here won't necessarily get you there, so to yes. speak. So what we need people to be thinking and acting differently for the next generation of leaders that we're trying to create.
0: Totally agree. Now, we are coming towards the end of the podcast. And at this point, Peter, we play the five second game rule. <gasps> now, I don't know how you're going to fare with this because. I can imagine giving three answers in five seconds for you is going to be tricky uh, because as a storyteller, you like to tell us lots Mm -hmm. and lots and lots. So we'll see how you fare. Okay. you have just five seconds to give me three quick fire answers to my questions. Are you ready?
1: Wait, five seconds for each answer or I have to do all three in five seconds?
0: All three in five seconds. Okay. I know, no pressure. (laughs) Deep breath.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, Peter, in the five-second game rule, can you give me three things that you are grateful for?
1: Uh, family, friends, and food.
0: You did it. You did it within five seconds. I am amazed. And then are we going to go for another one? In the five-second game rule, can you give me three things that you would take to a desert island?
1: My photographs, my music, and my laptop.
0: Oh! You're good at this. I didn't think you would be good at this. Not that I am. I,
1: I watch Ellen. I, I watch <laughs> Ellen. And Ellen plays this game too.
0: Oh, there we go. And we'll do one more as you're great at it. So, in the five second game rule, can you give me three words that describe you
1: inspiring, humble, and motivating?
0: Boom. I would have said those three too because you are just joyous. I love you. Um, and I would love to finish and I can't wait to hear what you're going to say for this. I would love to finish with knowing in Peter Zorn's view, what is the absolute secret to success?
1: The absolute secret to success is being your authentic self. You have to be you because you've got so many different people that you need to interact with during a day, during a lifetime and when people talk about you you don't want somebody to say oh he's a really nice guy oh he's a real jerk oh he's really you know uh he's really motivated he's really lazy you you you've got to just be you all the time and i the reason i say that is um because i have had some of my greatest compliments when people have said to me who've known me for many years and seen me at many different levels from sort of you know Early in life, mid-manager up to sort of senior MD in, in banking, um, who have said to me, Peter, one of the most interesting things about you is you are exactly the same person every time we see you, in terms of whether I'm doing chair races down the down the <laughs> down down the aisles in a, in a service center, or I'm delivering a presentation to a board. Yes, uh-huh. of course, one adapts one's behavior a little bit but I am authentic at every step of the way. And I think people recognize that authenticity and they trust you more and they're more willing to work with you in whatever sort of whatever capacity that is required it can be personal or professional.
0: Absolute goosebumps. It's the key, isn't it? To, to yeah. succeeding in all areas of life, personal and professional. And it'd be lovely if more people could take off the mask. Yes. And just do them. Um, in yeah. all those situations. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I love that you've shared it in that way. Peter, it's been incredible this morning for me, this evening for you. Um, I think you've been really open, honest and authentic and inspiring for many. I'm sure there's lots of takeaways that, that people will be able to use And lots of practical tips and advice that people can take and put into their daily lives to help them be a better version of them. So thank you. I said at the beginning that you were a storyteller. I also think that you're a force of nature and been an absolute pleasure. Have you enjoyed it?
1: Angela, I have loved this. This is the best, not only the best hour of my day, I think it's the best hour of my month. Um, oh, because wow. I love talking about these sorts of things. And if, as I said before, you know, if I can inspire one or two people to do something that makes them happier or more successful or feel more fulfilled, then I did my job with you. So well, thank you thank very you much.
0: Thank you very much, too. And I will look forward to the next time that we meet again.
1: And me, too. All right, Angela. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you.
0: I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.